Thank you for listening to this gospel resource from Cornerstone Baptist Church in Wiley, Texas. Feel free to use or share this resource, but we ask that you not alter the content in any way. For more information about Cornerstone Baptist Church, please visit us at cornerstonewiley.org. Oh Lord, you are uh, a great and gracious God. Uh, We can never ever earn or merit salvation. Uh, Your word says it's by grace in which we stand. And we thank you again that um, we have this opportunity to be amazed at your grace, that we have uh, been shown mercy and kindness and been given all the blessings of salvation uh, through your son, Jesus Christ. And so we thank you that we have this day that we can come together, we can encourage each other in the faith, that we can uh, praise you in song and and prayer and and, uh, study of your word, and that again, it's all to your glory. We also thank you again for the Sunday school class, for what we've we've studied and what we've learned. And I would pray uh, that you would continually, Lord, help us to look to you to see Christ in the story of the Pilgrim's Progress. And that you would please would help me, uh, guide my words, uh, help me to be gracious, help me to be careful in the things we talk about. And again, ultimately, that you would be glorified and you would be pleased. So again, we thank you for our time together. We thank you for your presence here. And we bless you, and we ask this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so here we go. We're going to do a a, a tad bit of review. Some people don't like the reviews, but the teacher in me says that since I haven't seen you for one week, you've pretty much forgotten everything I've talked about. Uh, And so we do need to touch a little bit on the story to just uh, connect to the continuity of where we've been and where we're going here. And so if you remember... uh, Christian and Faithful ended up in Vanity Fair, and we spent quite a bit of time talking about Vanity Fair, what it is, and um, they get in trouble there. Remember, they get arrested, and there's this huge trial, and uh, it, again, it represents in the allegory uh, persecution of Christians. We talked about the persecution of Christians. That's always a popular topic, and, uh, but again, I reminded uh, you and myself, too, the Bible talks a lot about the persecution of Christians, that again, we're in the world, not of the world, uh, that Jesus warned us over and over again, if they hate me, they'll hate you. Uh, the Beatitudes talks about the, you know, the blessed man is the one who again, uh, is uh, persecuted for righteousness sake, and for the sake of Christ, and for the, again, as we uh, seek to live out uh, the, the gospel in the world. And of course, uh, it leads to faithful uh, being martyred, right? Again, you have a, again, that's a common theme as well in scriptures. And um, so Christian somehow is able to escape, and he's on his way, and he's joined with a new companion named... You just got here. What? Wait, wait, wait. You remember. All right. Okay. Hopeful. Thank you very much. Hopeful. Yes. I just got here. Okay. So... Um, <laughs> That's on record, by the way. That was Caroline. Okay, so um, um, I hear that all the time. Um, and so the uh, so they're on this new journey, and so uh, they run into a, a, a kind of a strange dude by the name of Mr. Byend. Byend. All right. And so Mr. Byend, the theme on that was what? Who can kind of? Because it was kind of confusing a little bit. Maybe uh, what was his bit? Him and Mr. Money Love, and that should be a clue there, Money Love, right? Love money. Okay, remember, he's the, the individual who has a religion, a type of Christianity that's comfortable, right? He's, he likes a, a Christianity, you walk around in silver slippers. I don't know, okay? You get the idea. You know, you want a cushy, 
you want it luxurious, you want it, uh, uh, you want the, the benefits of salvation without the, any of the costs. You could describe it that way. Uh, he likes it when it's advantageous, that when a religion works for him, uh, he doesn't want any kind of discomfort, he doesn't want any kind of thing that's going to disrupt or make him feel bad. And so um, his view of religion is about profit. Right? And I know, again, we never have an issue in the Bible or in our culture where people use religion for personal gain. That's sarcasm, right? I mean, that's, you get it, right? And so that's a warning in Scripture over and over again, again, to not, yeah, here we go. And so they, missed, uh, so they had this whole discussion with Mr. Buy-in. You have some friends who show up who are basically buddies of his, and we didn't talk too much about that. But um, the, the hopeful and Christian are pretty much ostracized. They're basically, you know, they, they're, they're ridiculed because uh, their, their biblical view of Christianity is too strict, right? They will not, they basically, Christian challenges, Mr. Bayan says, you know what, if you want to follow Christ, you need to follow Christ when it's advantageous and when it's not. Uh, when it's comfortable and when it's not. When it works for you and when it works against you, all right? That you are a Christian 24-7, regardless of your circumstances. Mr. Bayan says, I don't like that. Uh, who are you to tell me what to do? You know, we don't like you. You know, adios. Well, then they end up going to the, the plane of ease. Uh, there's a, a mine there. We talked about the, the, the silver mine. And in, uh, it's a temptation to get off the path, basically to pursue riches instead of Christ. Uh, hopeful is a little bit tempted by that. Said, hey, let's go check out the mine. And Christian says, don't do that. Don't get off the path. And then so the other guys, Mr. Bayan and his friends, they go and check out the mine. And, of course, they get trapped and destroyed and you never hear from them again. Then that leads us to, um, after they kind of go through all that, to a garden. Okay, so and this is going to be on the first page on uh, chapter 8 in your next section. All right, so hopefully if you have an electronic version of that, you can look at that. I've got some hard copies up here if you want to use those as well. We try to meet everybody's learning needs or styles. And so it's interesting is that every time there's a, uh, when the pilgrims need rest, when they need refreshment, when they need healing, when they need encouragement, the imagery in the allegory is always a garden. It's typically the, you know, a river, a garden, it's someplace pleasant. Um, again, if you can think of uh, you know, your ideal a uh, place where you feel like nature, if you like uh, camping, if you like um, some place that's just beautiful and refreshing and quiet and calming, right? Uh, I mean, it's almost like he's pulling from the Garden of Eden, that kind of imagery, and also the Book of Revelation, you have that same kind of imagery too. Um, and so every time the, the pilgrims kind of reach this place, they have uh, these, these moments where they're able to kind of regroup, okay, spiritually. All right, so that's kind of what we're starting on this next section is there's a little bit of a regrouping, and on your outlines is a time of healing and refreshment. But before we get into that, though, I want to talk about something totally different. Now, it's, just, it's connected to the story here. Uh, so I'll start with a question, okay? And you know, it's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer it unless you really feel impelled to do that, all right? Okay, have you ever struggled... Okay, and you just like, that's, okay, that, yes, okay. Um, but with the three Ds, I call them the three Ds, all right? And the three Ds are doubt, depression, and despair. Doubt, depression, and despair. Because that's going to give you a clue about the next section where we're going with this, all right? And the reason I bring this up is that in my experience with uh, being in church for, for quite a while, 
and the type of cultural Christianity we have is that we have this veneer, we have this appearance of Christian perfectionism. A lot of times when you're uh, in church, when you're in social settings and so on, and people ask you how you're doing, right? How are you, how are you doing? Right? Kind of that common thing. And we typically, most of the time, will say, what? What? I'm fine. That's right. I'm great. I'm good. Got, I got my act together, right? I'm, I'm fabulous. I don't think I ever said fabulous, but, you know, I'm fabulous, right? Um, and most of the time, you're lying. All right. I'm sorry if I insult you, but yeah, most of the time we're lying. Now, it might just be because it's maybe you don't trust that person or you don't have a relationship with that person. It's just not, again, an opportunity to really kind of get into the nitty-gritty of what's, what's going on in your lives. But the truth of the matter, again, is that for most Christians, uh, we are going through trials. We're going through difficulties. We're going through problems. We're going through um, a lot of stuff Pilgrim's Progress talks about where it's, it's messy and dirty and it's hurtful and it's hard, Right? And, but we don't feel comfortable telling people the truth. <coughs> yes? yes? Right? And especially if you, um, in a church where if you talk about, um, I'm, I'm having doubts. I'm having doubts spiritually, right? Um, and it could be anything, right? It could be about God. It could be about, especially if you're going through a, a, a very serious trial. You're doubting God's sovereignty. You're doubting His goodness. You're doubting His, his, his plans, uh, His justice. Sometimes, right? Um, there's times, again, of great depression. And depression, again, sad, great sadness, melancholy. They used to use that word, melancholy, right? And that can be caused by a lot of different things. And then the last thing is just despair. Uh, there, are, there are Christians a lot of times where they're just being beaten down, right? They're going through very, very, very difficult situations, and what they're doing is they're hiding it. Right? They don't feel comfortable sharing that with the church, sharing with the group, sharing with someone, and they're suffering in isolation. And then what happens? A lot of times something significantly, something serious, something bad happens, and we, we, and we say, we, we never knew. Right? And this is the environment, this is the place where you know, we need to be transparent, we need to be real. I mean, if we can't do that in the world, we can't do that with our neighbors, we can't do that with our employ you know, where we work, this is supposed to be a family, right? And the family needs to be that safe space. I'm going to just use a colloquial thing there, safe space, right? Where, again, uh, when we're going through the three Ds, there's someone we can talk to. It could be an elder. It could be a counselor. It could just be a, a, a friend who's going to be there with us, who's going to pray with us, who's going to walk us, walk through with us so we're not alone. And so that's going to be part of what we're going to be talking about uh, Doubting Castle and Giant Despair. Now, just to, to kind of get us going here a little bit, I'm going to look at two passages of Scripture just to, to start us off with. First, it's 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18. Now, all of you are pretty familiar with the story. I love this story. Okay, about Elijah. Okay, this is like the superstar of the prophets, right? This is the guy, right? Um, and he has been at odds and uh, basically been the prophet to a very rebellious people in the north, right? You have the northern kingdom of Israel and headed by a very, 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 almost like the epitome of the wicked king. You have Ahab and his wonderful wife, Jezebel, 
Okay, and it's been a contentious relationship. Okay, because they have been leading Israel astray. They've been leading to idolatry. Uh, Israel has broken the covenant over and over and over again, and God has been using Elijah to again bring a message to repent, and they won't repent. In fact, what's going to happen is God's going to bring a drought upon the, the, the land for an extended period of time, right? which is not unusual. And so what's eventually going to happen in chapter 18, you get the, uh, it's almost like a showdown. Okay, so you get to Mount Carmel, if you guys remember this, uh, where pretty much the prophets of Baal, basically uh, Elijah's going to give a challenge and say, okay, uh, you bring 450 prophets of Baal to the mountain, and we're going to have a... a, a, a um, a test, so to speak, to declare, to show who is the true God. You know, who is the true God? Because basically, you people can't make your mind up, right? You want to worship the Baals. You want to worship, be involved in idolatry, and somehow, someway, give lip service to God. It doesn't work that way. And so what happens, of course, and you know the story, is that Elijah, being the gentleman, says, you guys get to go first, right? 450 guys, they build this altar, and they, they do their thing, right? They cry out to Baal. They do the, the crazy dancing. They start cutting themselves, screaming out to Baal. Because the idea is that somehow um, this altar has to be lit. It has to be set on fire, and they can't do it. It has to be done supernaturally. And so Elijah's just sitting back. He's just watching the show. And, of course, you remember the story, uh, which I love, is that Elijah kind of mocks them. You know, he kind of just makes fun of them. It's like, you know... Where's your God, right? Is he, is he missing? Is he in the bathroom? Has he gone on a, tri- tri- a trip? Um, you know, is he distracted somewhere, right? And they scream louder and they do more of their stuff, right? And this thing goes on for a long, 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 long time, right? And then finally they just go kaput, right? They're just like, they're, they're done, right? And Elijah says, okay, now they build another altar, an altar to the Lord. Actually, they rebuild an a altar that had been broken down, right? And then what Elijah does, of course, is that they build the trough or the trench around it, and they just drench this thing, right? They just drench it. And, and the idea, of course, being is that uh, Elijah wants to make it really, really clear when God shows up, when God sends fire again, it's, it's going to be, it's a miracle. It's, a, it's dramatic. It's a, to make a point, okay? And that's what happens, Right? I mean, I just, I can see in my mind, you have imagination, by the way, okay? Because so, again, Elijah says, okay, Lord, I mean, I'm not going to read the, the, the prayer, but the point is, is that this is again, um, uh, been this challenge and you are the true and living God. These gods are fake, they're, they're not true, and Israel needs to be reminded again of your power, of your presence, of your covenant to your people, which they have broken over and over and over again. And then the fire comes down, right? And when it comes down, it obliterates, I mean, really the dust. I mean, it's a scorched earth, literal example. And all the people fall down, right? The Lord is God. Our Lord is God. You know, it's like, well, duh, no duh, right? And then they kill the 450 prophets of Baal, right? Elijah says, kill them, okay? They're they're misleading you, kill them. They're wrong. So, boy, victory. You know, this is like fun for the books, right? Everybody's going to remember this. And then the word gets back to Jezebel, okay, the wicked queen. And then she sends a message to Elijah saying, what? Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> You're the winner, you know, um, get a chicken dinner. Um, I'm going to kill you, right? I'm after you now, right? And so you see this again. Um, 
And by the way, uh, so you see this uh, on chapter 19, okay? I, I summarized chapter 18. Um, and so in verse 3, it says, and he was afraid. Now here again, here's the prophet. Here's like, you think of Elijah, his boldness, his bravery. Uh, he stands up against, you know, again, the, the, the enemy, the opposition. Uh, he's outnumbered, right? And here's this wicked queen, right, uh, with her nasty note, and say, I'm going to get you, right? And he flees. Verse 3 says, he was afraid and arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba. He left, left his uh, servant there. And then verse 4, he goes off by himself a day's journey into the wilderness. Okay, so he's, he's running. He's on the run. And he, he's in the wilderness, and he sits down under a juniper tree. And he's exhausted. And on top of that, he's depressed. Right? Because you see the line there. It says, he requested for himself that he might die. Okay? So how did this, this, this bold prophet go from victory over here to, to fleeing from just one woman? Right? She's the queen. But basically, he's on the run. He's a fugitive. He's, in, he's afraid for his life. And he's under this tree. And this basically says, God, I'm done. I'm finished. Take me. Right? And so... It's interesting, he lays, so he's there and he falls asleep, okay? He's exhausted, he falls asleep, and, and then uh, he's nudged, right? A little nudge, and it's an angel, right? And he wakes up and there's uh, some bread baking on, I love it, the description, there's some bread baking on some hot rocks, and there's a jar of water. And the angel tells him, you, you need nourishment, you need to eat. And that's what he does, he eats them. And then after that, he falls asleep again. The angel comes back, the angel of the Lord came again a second time, verse 7, and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. He does the exact same thing, and then he, he heads to Mount Horeb, the mountain of God. It takes him 40 days and 40 nights. So that was pretty good food. 40 days and 40 nights, that's a long, that's a bit of a journey, all right? But when he gets there, again, you have this really beautiful, dramatic, amazing story when God shows up, right? God's going to appear to, to Elijah, and I, there's a, when he gets to this cave, God speaks to him and says, why are you here? Why are you here? And then Elijah says in verse 10, I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of Israel, the God of hosts, for the sons of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And you hear this emphasis that it's just, I'm, I'm it. I'm, I'm the last man standing. I'm... Okay, and I can't do it. I can't take it. Right? I'm alone. And then what's going to happen, you have this dramatic, uh, I won't go through all the ways that God's going to show his presence with Elijah. Um, but what's going to happen here is that God's got a message for him. And he says in verse 15, go return on your way to the wilderness and basically anoint certain individuals and anoint his, his successor as well. And then in verse 18, the Lord reminds Elijah, and kind of in his... I don't say a pity party, but there is, again, this, 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 you know, he's been struggling, right? He's been struggling. That's our, our word for the day, struggle, right? With his, with his emotional states, state and with his fear. And he says in verse 18, Yet I leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, so Elijah, you're saying, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm it, I can't do it. And yet I've left my people, 7,000, right? who basically who are uh, also, uh, you know, you're not alone. And that's kind of the, the, the bit there I wanted to just hope you see there. Now, 
there's that one example. And there's lots, lots of examples too. But I want one more here. I want to book on the Psalms, book of Psalms, and Psalm 88. Psalm 88. Now, most of the time, when people talk about their favorite psalm, okay, this is not it. Psalm 88. <clears throat> the writer says, O Lord, the God of my salvation, I have cried to you by day and in the night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul has enough troubles, and my life has drawn near to Sheol. I am reckoned among those who go down to the pit. I have become like a man without strength, forsaken among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you, you remember no more, and they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the lowest pit, in dark places, in the depths. And by the way, that little line there, six, is really kind of important there. You've put me in the lowest pit, in, the place, in, the, in dark places, in the depths. Okay, this mirrors poetic imagery there. But you get the idea. This is the dark night of the soul for this individual here. It says, My wrath, your wrath has rested upon me, and you've afflicted me with all your waves. You've removed all my acquaintances far from me. You've made me an object of loathing to them. I'm shut up and cannot go out. My eyes wasted away because of affliction. I've called upon you every day, O Lord. I've spread out my hands to you. When will you perform wonders for the dead? Will the departed spirits rise and praise you? Will your loving kindness be declared in the grave, your faithfulness and abandon? Will your wonders be made known in the darkness and your, your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, have cried out to you for help, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you reject my soul? Why do you hide your face from me? I was afflicted and about to die from my youth on. I suffer your terrors. I am overcome. Your burning anger has passed over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. They have surrounded me like water all day long. They've encompassed me altogether. You have far, you've removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. So again, this is a very, very honest psalm. I mean, they're all scriptures. I mean, I, I, that's not even going to say it. But it's true, again, it's that this is very bleak and it's very honest. And the psalmist in this condition doesn't have an answer yet from God. He does not see the, his deliverance. He doesn't see the rescue. He doesn't see the hope uh, that you see in other psalms a lot of times. When Again, when the psalmist cries out for deliverance and help and hope and strength and so on, usually there's an answer, right? But in this, in this situation, the psalmist does not, right? And again, why I'm saying this, because again, Christians, God's people again, have gone through, they do go through doubt and depression, and despair. And John Bunyan, uh, remember the author of The Pilgrim's Progress, we've talked from the very, very day one uh, in his autobiography, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, this is something he wrestled with, something he struggled with, that this was a common problem with for him. And so this is going to be the, the episode where the pilgrims go into this kind of experience, and we're going to kind of explore this a bit more. Okay, before I get into this, oh, one more thing too, okay, because I don't want to leave you hanging here, okay? We start out and look at doubt, depression, and despair, but we end up with the, the assurance of salvation. Okay, there's hope. There's, there is a, there's light at the end of the tunnel. I don't want to leave you hanging over here and think like, well, this is just going to be a bummer all day long. Okay, so, uh, and this is just, you know, there's, there's good news, right? It's going to be at the end of the story. All right, any questions yet? So far, comments, thoughts? 
No? All right. Okay, so in the story, our two characters here, Christian and Hopeful, they're on their journey. They're on the, uh, uh, the path. They've escaped again, uh, all the things we talked about before. And what happens is that, um, I'm just going to read a little bit of this. Um, now I beheld in my dream that they had not journeyed far from the river and the path, uh, and the path separated for a time. So the, 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 the uh, paradise they were experiencing, the, the refreshment they were experiencing, um, now the path is leading them away from that. Um, and it goes on here, they were rather sad about this, but they dared not leave the path. Then the path away from the river became rough and their feet became tender from walking. Therefore, they wished for a better pathway. Now, okay, just stop right there. So again, you get the idea here. This is on page two of the outline. Um, and this is uh, going to talk again about that uh, point A there. Their feet are sore. Okay, so if, you, you know, if you've ever been hiking, you've ever been uh, walking a long distance, you've got bad shoes, right, whatever. Uh, or maybe just the, the terrain you're on is, uh, makes it hard. Right, I mean, I've, I've had experience a lot of times, okay? And it's like, sometimes you have really great paths where it's just smooth and it's, there's no ups and downs. I mean, it's, it's just easy to walk, right? There's other times you're on certain paths where it's, it's murdering your feet, right? It's hard, it's difficult, and that's what's starting to happen with these two pilgrims. And uh, the book says, on my outline here says that, that um, at first they returned to keep to the way, but as weariness and discontentment sets in, they long for a better way. And that's our little clue here is that, you know, how much can they take? How much can they take? Till they're starting to go like, is there an easier way? Is there kind of like I can have my cake and eat it too? You know, we want to stay on the path, but we want it to be where it's nice and comfortable and it's not too hard, right? So the, the, the little door has been opened just a little bit here, okay, just a little bit. Now, with Christian, this is on point B on your outline. Though disheartened by present trials, Christian has grown in his, conf his confidence. He and Hopeful have escaped Vanity Fair and recognized the folly of buy-ins and company. The plane of ease did not dull their watchfulness. They recognized and rebuked the temptation of Demas. They avoided the perils of the silver mine and took part to the warning of the pillar of salt. Such successes on the journey should cause an ongoing praise to God. But Christian has become too sure of himself. He's gained confidence, but his confidence is in his progress, not in his God. Now on page three here, page three, I want to kind of read a little bit of Spurgeon. All right, I've got to, I've got to have some Spurgeon quotes here. Remember, Spurgeon loved Pilgrim's Progress. He loves Bunyan's writings and so on. And he's done a number of sermons based upon Pilgrim's Progress. And so he'll say here, uh, Spurgeon, the way itself renders it so. This is on page bottom, page three. The way to heaven is no smooth shaven lawn, no well-rolled gravel path. It is a rough road, uphill, down dale, across rivers and over mountains. He that would get to heaven must have the spirit of Hannibal, who, when he led his troops over the Alps, said, I will find either a, a way or I will make one. You, you will all need the fortitude that grace itself can give you in order to reach along a road, the city of your desire. Moreover, the road is long. It is a lifelong road. To keep near to God by the space of a week is not the easiest thing conceivable. To deny one's passions, to overcome one's evil desires for the space of a month might be difficult, but this is, but this is for life. We, sh we shall not be able to lay down this charge till we lay down our bodies. Here we stand upon our watchtower, not by day alone, nor uh, though the hot noontide might make us faint, 
but until the evening stars arise and outward through the dark night till the gleams of morning come. And so day after day, from the first childhood of our spiritual existence until we've matured into the ripe old age, it is, a, it is watching, watching continually and laboring and pressing forward. My brethren, I do not know how it is for some of you, but I do feel this and I must confess it, that in the early part of our Christian career, there's a freshness and a novelty about everything which enables us to travel readily. But after a while, there's no monotony, it is true, except in ourselves, but it begins to be a heavy work to hold on to the ways of the Lord. It ought not to be so, but alas, it is so. And we have to cry to the strong for strength that we may be renewed, or else, or else the length of the way will wear us out. All right? And so again, this idea that you, they're getting worn down a little bit and they're getting to be um, careless is what's going to happen. So at the very top here, Christians' misplaced confidence soon leads to carelessness and forgetfulness. And remember, the forgetfulness part is that one thing they've been told over and over and over and over again is stay on the path, stay on the path, stay on the path, right? And that's something that we need to hear all the time, every single day, stay on the path, right? And yet, a lot of times as life goes on, um, we get forgetful and we get careless. And for some reason, for something, whatever temptations or issues may be, is that we get off the path a little bit, all right? And that's what's going to happen with these two guys as well. What happens is that on their, they're on this rough path and so on, and there's a fence right, or, or a wall of some type, and they can see over it. And they notice there's a nice meadow, all right? And it's referred to as bypath meadow. Right? It's, it's beautiful. It's nice. It's, it's, it's all level. It looks very, very easy to walk. And they notice there's a path on the other side. Wow. Okay? And so it's a, the pilgrims see to the left of their path a fair meadow. This meadow seems to promise relief. And it seems to lie, lie parallel to the true path. Enticed by the hope of an easier way, Christian encourages Hopeful to follow him over the stile and into bypath meadow. Now a stile, if you know what a stile is, okay, it's like a little, uh, I'll say a bridge or some kind of ladder that goes over a, a, a high uh, a wall or something like that, and you climb over it, basically, okay? And so just conveniently, there's a stile there, okay? That's it's like someone has set them up, okay? It's like, here's a, and there's a, it's a temptation, right? And you have a, a couple verses here again uh, that ties into this uh, Proverbs 3, which everybody should have memorized, by the way. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, right? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding, right? And, and I, I'm emphasizing this because I'm talking to myself here, right? Why? It's because I lean on my own understanding <laughs> far too much, right? In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. There you go, a metaphor there. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And then the, a very well-known passage to Proverbs 14, 12. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. So Bypath Meadow represents our own efforts at attaining righteousness. It is lush with pride and filled with the fruits of self-determination and good intentions. It's our attempt to define how we will live and walk before God in this life, especially when we grow discontent with the path God has us on. That little line there, I'm going to read that one more time. It's our attempt to define how we will live and walk before God in this life, especially when we grow discontent with the path God has given us on, God has placed us on. 
The style represents how easy it is to cross over from resting our confidence in Christ to thinking too highly of ourselves. And I have a little quote here from William Mason. He has a commentary on Pilgrim's Progress on page four. And um, he says, the transition into the bypath into, into the bypath is easy, for it lies close to the right way. Only, only you must get over a style, that is, you must quit Christ's imputed righteousness and trust in your own inherent righteousness, and then you are in Bypath Meadow directly. All right, so they just going back to the story, they 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 look at the uh, they look at the, the the alternative, the parallel, and it's Christian actually who's kind of like leading the way on this. He looks over, he's kind of judging it, and goes, "Hey, you know what? These paths are parallel. They're like running side by side, right? And this side side is hard, but this side is easy. Which one do you think we should take? Right? And which one would you take? Thank you very much for your honesty. That's right. Don't, yeah, it's like, oh, I want the hard path. Yeah, I like the hard stuff. Liars. Okay, yeah. It's, um, <laughs> we're going to do the exact same thing, right? It's like, I want the easy way, right? And as long as it's parallel, okay, because again, you got to make sure you justify this. As long as it's taking us into the right destination, then we're, we're gold, right? <laughs> and it's interesting, too, is that um, it's actually the, it's a, uh, um, hopeful, who's, who's the younger believer, goes like, should we be doing this? He's like, are you sure about this? And Christians go, ah, what could happen? What, you know, what could happen? Trust me on this, okay? And this is going to come up later on, by the way. Now, so what they do is they climb over the wall, they go, and they, they're now on the wrong path, right? They're, they, they think they're on the right path. And on top of it, they want to find out some kind of confirmation they're on the right path. There's an individual in front of them and his name is Mr. Vain Confidence. Vain Confidence. And this is on page four of your outline. And uh, verse uh, point F there says, Vain Confidence is not a trustworthy guy. Um, because what they do is they say, they call to that he's in front of them, and they say, hey, where's this path lead? And Mr. Vain Confidence says, trust me, it's leading to the celestial city. And, they, and Christian goes, see? We can trust this guy. Okay, he knows where he's going. He's knows what he's doing, blindly in the blind kind of thing, you know. So um, and so they so they go well. Okay, let's, let's stay on the path. And what eventually, of course, is going to happen is the path is kind of start to diverging. And you would think again that they would notice it, but they don't. And then on top of that, it's starting to get nighttime, where they can't see the path very well. Now, one of the, one of the things that's going to happen, which is interesting, this is not the only time, is usually when Christian or any of the pilgrims. Uh, follow someone who's going the wrong direction, bad things happen to that person, all right? So they're on this path, and Mr. Vain Confidence is ahead of them, and then he basically falls, there's a, there's a trap set in the path, okay? It's a, basically like a, a big hole, right? And Mr. Vain Confidence falls in the hole, right? And basically, it, nearly, it basically kills him, maybe he's near death, okay? And he's a boom, falls in, and then Christian and faithful, uh, hopeful realize something's up. Because they hear that he falls in, and they cry out to you like, hey, are you okay? And all they hear is, oh, you know, they say, okay. So they figure, like, something's wrong here, right? So, you, so they think at that point there is that, okay, we got to turn back, right? So um, on point G here, it says, just as the Christians realize the danger they're in, their trouble worsens, it begins to rain, right? And this is a California rain, all right? <laughs> 
<laughs> this is again, a, this is a torrential rain. This is a this is a a God's judgment kind of rain, a flooding kind of rain. Okay, it's not like a little drizzle, not a little sprinkle. Okay, so it's getting dark and it's starting to rain terribly. All right, because they want to go back. They want to get back. Just do a U-turn and go back the right direction, and they're they're disorientated now. All right. And uh, it says on here, uh, the water rises and so on. Hopeful laments, oh, that I had kept it on my way. Um, and then it goes on here, now he regrets not speaking more plainly. And so I'm going to read the text here. It's on your outline. It says, hopeful, I was afraid that at the, at the very first and therefore gave you a gentle caution, I would have spoken plainer, but the fact, before the fact, you're older than I. So Hopeful had his reservations. Hopeful is thinking like, I don't really think we should do this. And Christian's going like, I'm the older one. I'm the more mature one. You can trust me, right? And Hopeful was going like, well, okay. But he really thought maybe I should have maybe pressed the point, but he didn't. And now, of course, they're in trouble. And uh, then Christian feels bad about it, okay, which rightly so. He says, good brother, don't, do not be offended. I'm sorry I have brought you out of the way. I have put you in such imminent danger. Please forgive me. I did not do it with an evil intent. And then Hopeful is really good about this. He says, be comforted, my brother, for I do forgive you. I must believe that this too shall be for our good. And here's that theology. Okay, it's again, it's this idea that God works all things together for good for those who love him on a call according to his purpose. Even when you get off the path a little bit, God can still redeem that. Right? And that's what Hopeful's theology is kicking in here a little bit. All right? And uh, Christian goes, well, I'm glad you're such a merciful brother. We must not stay here. Let's try to go back. Well, unfortunately, what's happening is that, um, like I said, this is a massive flood. Okay, They're, they can't see the path anymore. Uh, in fact, to a point where the, they're in danger of drowning. So again, the water, I don't know what the, they're a floodplain, or again, is that they're just a low point. point is that um, they're, they're trying to, 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 to get back and it's not working. Um, and then on top of it, it's dark. And so they're, they're literally in danger of drowning and, and dying in this situation. Well, lo and behold is that, um, and this is on point five of your outline here, page five, excuse me. Um, Though Christian hopeful attempt to return to the way they are not able, it's still dark, so they're unable to see. And now the floods are rising up and covering the meadows, so they're nearly drowned. The floods represent the sorrows, distress, and anguish that often accompanies the consequences of our sin, even when we confess our sin and seek forgiveness. Though Christian is blessed with a merciful brother, they must still face the reality that they're out of the way and in imminent danger. The way back will not be easy. In Bunyan and in Pilgrim's Progress, he says this, quote, It is easier going out of the way when we are in than going in when we are out. Right? So it's easier to fall out of the way, but when you're trying to go back, a lot of times it's much more difficult. So what happens next is that they find uh, they're, they're, rest, they're, they're, they're exhausted, um, they can't find their way back, and they find a little um, area where they can, they can basically hide out for a little bit, like a, like a little, um, I don't know if it's a, a little shelter of some type, um, but it's nighttime, they're exhausted, and so they, they, they stay there and they rest. And by the way, it probably the question is, you know, should they have rested? Should they have stopped and not given up trying to find their way? Probably not, but they fall asleep. So they're in this little place. They're exhausted. They're dirty. They're wet. Uh, they're discouraged. And what happens next? On page five, you've got a little, even a picture here, which I, I uh, some high-tech stuff here again. Not far from the, pal the place where they slept, there was a castle called Doubting Castle, whose owner was Giant Despair. 
It was on his grounds that the pilgrims were now sleeping. Giant despair, getting up early in the morning and walking up, walking up and down on his fields, caught Christian and hopeful asleep on his grounds. Okay, so you can picture this in mind. There's a giant. Okay, giant despair. He lives in a castle called Doubting Castle, right? Mm -hmm. And every morning when he gets up, he, he goes through his property and he's looking for stragglers, trans, uh, uh, trespassers on his on his land. Okay, and they're typically their pilgrims. Somehow they have gotten on uh, off the path on his property. And he's found these two, all right? Now, it says here, then with a grim and surly voice, I was going to try to mimic, mimic that. I can't do that because uh, I'm never grim or surly. Um, <laughs> he ordered them to, to awake. He asked them where they came from and what they were doing on his grounds. They told him we were pilgrims and they had lost their way. Then giant, the giant declared, you are trespassing on my grounds and therefore you must come along with me. On page six. So they were forced to go with him because, they, because he was stronger than they. The pilgrims had little to say, for they knew themselves to be at fault. The giant therefore drove them before him and put them into a very dark, nasty, and stinking dungeon in his castle. Okay, so again, get this idea here. Downing Castle is not Cinderella's castle, right? It's nothing nice. It's not Harry Potter. I shouldn't say Harry Potter. It's okay. So it's nothing really <laughs> magical or nice or anything like that. Yeah, this is uh, bad. Okay, this, and so the word dark, nasty, stinking, and then on top of it, he throws them into the dungeon, okay? And not only is he thrown into a dungeon, um, they're without bread, water, nothing, zero, okay? Now this is gonna happen, start on Wednesday morning, and this will culminate on Saturday evening, okay? So that should give you a little clue here, especially in connection with scripture. So it says here, wearied and cast down, they found, uh, see what I'm at here. Um, okay, point B, the castle is miserable, unfor the, is a miserable, unforgiving place. It represents the doubts and fears of those beaten down by sin and overcome with guilt and sorrow. David describes such brokenness in the Psalms. In Psalm 69, and this is not the only place, again, we have Psalms like this. Uh, you know my approach, my shame, and my dishonor. Uh, this is to, to God. My adversaries are all before you. Reproach has broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness. And that's gonna, I'm going to jump down to the very bottom here. Um, a number of confessions, uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith and also the, the, the London Baptist Confession of 1689 um, have sections on assurance of salvation. Okay, have a uh, section on assurance of salvation. And I love reading these, okay, because and I've got to hear the Bath London Baptist uh, version on this. And uh, I'm going to just read this real quick because it ties into, again, where these believers are at and why they're there. It says, true believers, true believers, may in various ways have the assurance of their salvation shaken, decreased, and or temporarily lost. This may happen because their neglect to preserve it or fall into some specific sin that wounds their conscience and grieves the spirit. It may happen though some unexpected, uh, through some unexpected or forceful temptation or with, with God withdraws the light of his face and allows even those who fear him to walk in darkness and to have no light. Yet, they, yet, and here's our yet, this is important, this is the but or the yet in Scripture a lot of times, yet they are never completely lacking the seed of God, the life of, the life of faith, love of Christ and the brethren, sincerity of heart, or conscience concerning their duty. Out of these graces, through the work of the Spirit, this assurance may at, at the proper time be revived. In the meantime, they are kept from utter despair through them. Okay? So again, this is that acknowledgement again at the very beginning about that true Christians do go through times of doubt and depression 
and despair. And again, this is all part, and again, we talk about, uh, in connection, we talk about the assurance of salvation, is again, God is sovereign over these things, God may allow these things, and there's reasons why they happen, but the point is God will again bring us through. God is going, is going to be faithful to his people. Um, I also have here, too, uh, on page 7, a little quote here from uh, um, John Piper's ministry. and talks about pastors and, and preaching. And he says here, uh, How encouraging then it is for the believer to hear from his pastor that according to his, uh, his sovereign mysterious will, God may withdraw the light of his countenance or permit a believer to be tried with vehement temptations or intense afflictions that do violence to his peace and joy. The Puritans taught that this might actually benefit believers as it may have the purpose of allowing them to taste the bitterness of sin or to grow in humility or to treasure the gift of assurance more or to de depend more fully on the grace of Christ and endeavor after a closer walk after God, with God. God's withdrawals and his placing of trials in the path of the believer are motivated by his fatherly discipline, which teaches them to walk uprightly, by his fatherly sovereignty, which teaches dependence, and by his fatherly wisdom, which teaches that he knows and does what is best for his own. God ordains these trials for his glory and the benefit of his elect, so that they learn, like Job, to trust in a withdrawing God as our greatest friend, even when he seems to come out against us as our greatest enemy. And again, this is a, I don't know if you've heard these things before, or, but I know you've experienced them before. Right? So again, this idea that even when we go through these trials and we're in this dungeon and we're in these, going through these experiences, again, God's still there. Okay? God's still using these things. God is still in control. God has not left his people. Right. So what's going to happen next is that on page 7, let's talk about the dungeon. The depth of such brokenness is portrayed in the allegory as a dungeon. The dungeon is a dark and unpleasant place, nasty and stinking uh, to the spirits of these two men. Their sorrow is lingering and lonely. For four days they are confined without food or drink to regain their strength or light to see or find a way out or friends and acquaintances to notice or take pity upon them. All right, so... We got this set up now. Now, giant despair, um, he has a wife, okay? And her, the wife's name is, is diffidence, which just basically means uh, at the bottom there, distrust or uh, something like that, okay? And um, the point is they to talk about is that uh, giant despair goes to bed. And he, uh, him and his wife are in bed and they're talking, all right? So she's like, saying, what did you do with your dad? And he's gonna say, I caught two pilgrims on the property. All right, and so on, back on here. Um, so, and he asked her, so what do you think I should do with them? And she says, uh, she asked him, you know, where, who they were, where they're coming from. Then she counseled him uh, that when they, he woke in the morning, he should beat them without mercy. What a nice wife. But, yeah, you, get, you found some trespassers, you know, just beat the heck out of them, man. Just go down in the morning, got nothing else better to do. <laughs> so... In the morning, he rose in the morning. He took a large crab tree, cungeon. Is it cungeon? Cungeon? Big, big, big branch, all right? And um, he went down into the dungeon to them, and he began to berate them as if they were dogs, as though they, uh, even though they never gave him any reason to do so. Then he fell upon them and beat them mercilessly with, with the big branch, and in such a way that they were not able to defend themselves or escape the giant's clutches. And then he had a little picture there of him just pounding on them, all right? So these guys are in pretty dire straits here. Now on page eight, um, 
he basically said the giant leaves and basically says, okay, you guys think on this for a while, you know, be in misery, uh, be in pain, and uh, that will eventually lead to something else. Now, on page eight, on your uh, A there, the outline says, despair is a cruel taskmaster. It beats us without mercy. It leaves us helpless with nowhere to turn and no way out. Distrust, the wife, is, a, is its crueler companion. It causes us to waver and question what we know to be true. It isolates us and casts suspicion over hopes for joy and salvation. It compounds our misery and can deceive us even to the point of thinking that life is no longer worth living. Christian lose sight of truth and despairs of life itself. Okay, so it's even going to get worse here. So the next night, you have giant despair and his wife, who's pretty nasty. Um, they have this conversation. It's like, okay, you beat them, right? And he says, yeah, I beat them, man. I beat them bad, okay? I mean, to an inch of their lives, right? They're, they're, they're in bad condition there, all right? And so, well, she said, well, that's not good enough. What you need to go is you, the next day when you get up, have your breakfast, you know, just need, just for, uh, you know, uh, just for fun, go tell them to kill themselves. Go tell them to kill themselves. <coughs> and so the next morning came, he went to them in the same surly manner as before, perceiving them to be in much pain because of the beating he had given them the day before. He told them that since they're never, never, and that word never is really important, never, they're never going to leave. Right? It's always going to be this way. Because of the beating, he told them they were never going to get out. The best thing for them would be to kill themselves, either with a knife, a noose, or poison. For why, he questioned, should you choose life, seeing that it's attended with so much bitterness? So literally, he leaves there um, these, these items and says, choose one. Right? Choose one. Right, and I'm going to stop right here at the cliffhanger, and we'll pick it up, Lord willing, next Sunday. Right.